chapter six is really a new, a new phase of Tanya. Tanya introduced us to the concept that every Jew has two souls. We don't have one soul, we have two souls. There are two versions of you. There's no one Levi Dubov, there are two Levi Dubovs. Two totally different Levi Dubovs that both live in one body. Right? We're really two different personalities that are somehow commingled within one body. One you is called an animal soul. One you is called a godly soul. And from the moment that the author have introduced us to that concept of two souls, we've been focused exclusively on the godly soul, on the divine soul. And what have we learned about the godly soul? We've learned about how the identity of the godly soul is divine, it's godly, it's holy. It's God-centered. That's the nature, that's the drive, that's the uh, trajectory, if you will, of the, of, the, of the soul. That's the identity of the soul. And then we explored the composition, the architecture, the structure, the operating system of the soul, of the godly soul. And what we've learned was that the inner workings of the godly soul are 10 soul powers. These 10 soul powers are called, are, are these 10 soul powers are divided into two categories, intellect and emotion. So there is the world of intellect, of perception, where the godly soul can develop its worldview. And then that perception creates and gives birth to emotions. And then it has emotions. So what is the godly soul uh, exploring intellectually? And what type of emotions is it developing? It's developing godly emotions and godly thoughts and godly awareness. Because that's who it is. That's, that's, that's what it's uh, naturally searching for. That's what its drive is. It's divine. It's holy. It's godly. Then we've learned that the godly soul can also express itself in three modes of behaviors, which we called in Tanya three garments, the same way we go into and express ourselves within our garments. So to the soul goes into and express itself in the three garments of thought, speech, and action. It can think about its emotions, its interests. It can speak about them and it can act upon them. It could do something. So what does the godly soul like doing? <laughs> using its godly awareness and using its godly emotions. It wants to do godly activities, which are known as mitzvahs. Every mitzvah is an expression of that divine awareness and divine emotional attachment that our soul has. And the author have finally concluded with the idea that the mitzvahs and the Torah that we learn are not merely expressions of the soul. They have a profound impact on the soul. There's a feedback loop. Not only do we do mitzvahs, mitzvahs elevate us. They give us perhaps more than we give it. It gives us a connection to God. And with that, we, have we, we conclude our exploration of the godly soul. And at this point, the Alter Rebbe is now going to turn our attention to the animal soul. We've learned about one side of the equation. One side of our identity, let's talk now about the animal soul. And the animal soul is also called the natural soul. There's two titles for the soul, animal soul and natural soul. So let's begin reading. Let's begin reading. And the way the author ever begins our exploration of the divine soul is by quoting a statement made by uh, the wisest of all men, King Solomon. Let's begin reading chapter six, the opposite side of the equation, part one, inside your animal soul. Let's, let's go into the animal soul. The author says, now, God has made one 
opposite the other. This is a verse from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the, is the book of Kohelis. That's what it's called in Hebrew. Who came up with the word Ecclesiastes? All right. All these, all these stuff come from the King James Bible, which, by the way, did a horrible job translating the Bible. Lots of inaccuracies there. But they're the ones who gave the name uh, Ecclesiastes and Genesis, which actually that's not a bad name, right? Genesis makes sense, you know, because Bereshit means in the beginning. So Genesis, uh, I'll, I'll give them a pass for that one. The Cle what was it? What does Ecclesiastes even mean? Okay, I don't know, some Latin term. <laughs> so King Solomon says, God has made one opposite the other, which means very simply, everything in this world is a balance. That's the way God made the world. Every force has a counterforce. We see this in, in science. We also see this conceptually. We see this on all levels, on all spheres of reality. There's always a balance. There's always an equation, two sides, an equilibrium, which, you know, two forces always balancing each other out. And I was just actually speaking with somebody about this, about how nature is, is so impeccable. It's, it's God's nature is beautiful. It really is. Um, and in fact, Maimonides tells us, if you want to have an appreciation for God, if you want to begin a journey of, of simply developing an, an appreciation for God, study nature. Look, look at the beauty of nature. And nature on the, it, it is so, so dynamic and so complex, but, and, and so many very powerful, even violent forces. And all these forces converge together to create a, 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 a certain balance. Everything is always balancing each other out. So even within nature, we see this. You know, I, I remember once reading an article about how, I, I think it was back in the 60s, they tried removing a certain animal, a certain predatory animal out of Yellowstone National Park. Maybe it was wolves. And um, the ecosystem of Yellowstone National Park totally fell apart. One animal, which they thought was causing damage, and they removed it, and everything went haywire. If I'm not mistaken, the deer started multiplying like crazy, and they were eating all the vegetation so quickly that deer were dying from starvation. I think it was Yellowstone National Park. It's been many years since I looked this up. It happened somewhere. So what's the idea? And it wasn't just a deer. The entire ecosystem was suffering. So this is a general statement King Solomon makes. As powerful as evil is, good has the same potential, has the same power. And no matter how strong good is, evil is always a strong match. And this is also part of the, um, the fundamental source or the fundamental premise of free choice, that man has free choice. There's two equal options set out in front of man. But... What the author of it tells us with the statement, God has made one opposite the other, is that everything in this world has a mirror image, the exact opposite of what it is. That's the way God made the world. Every force in nature has the exact inverse of it. A copy of it, just the opposite, the inverse of it. And what the author is going to say is like this, which is, a very, a very, uh, a very interesting statement. Whatever the godly soul is, the animal soul is that exactly just the opposite. Flip it. It's the mirror image. It's the inverse. Take everything you know about the godly soul, flip it on its head, and you have the animal soul. So the animal soul is actually quite easy to understand. Take everything we've just learned in the past five chapters, literally flip it, and, and you have the animal soul. You know, there's like a, <laughs> I'm a little bit into graphic design. So there's something called invert colors. And inverted colors is actually what you do when you develop film. All right, if you look at a, at a film strip, which today we all use digital cameras, so we don't really do this anymore. But uh, right, 
not too long ago, we've been using, you know, real, real film, real Kodak film. And when you take a picture and you look at the film, you can't really see what's happening because all the colors are inverted. It's the exact opposite of what the true color is. Um, and then part of developing the film is to, is to invert those colors again. So let's use that idea of inversion. Use, use everything you know and just literally the opposite. Hold a mirror up. What does a mirror do? Our right hand becomes our left hand, right? A mirror means that everything is flipped. So let's, so let's continue reading. And welcome, Hillary. How are you? Okay. Good evening. Good evening. What was that? Well, thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Let's continue. Just as the divine soul is comprised of 10 holy soul powers, which are known as sephirot, and it expresses and invests itself within three holy garments, Right. That's what we know about the soul. Ten soul powers, three, three garments. The same is true with the other soul, the animal soul. It is the inverse of the divine soul sharing the same structure. And the altar is now, now is going to uh, walk us through these, you know, the mirror image of the animal soul. What is this inverse? Let's begin. Point number one, whereas the divine soul is holy, this soul, the animal soul, is of Sitra Achra from Klipat Noga. All right, those are some heavy terms. I'm not going to explain those terms now because the author is going to give us an in-depth treatment of these terms in right a little bit later in this chapter, in chapter six. So next week, We'll talk about what Sitra Achra and Klipat Noga means. But in one word, Klipa and Sitra Achra is the, are the Hebrew terms for unholiness, the opposite of holiness. So, you know, holy in Hebrew, it's a pretty, pretty familiar Hebrew word. Holy is Kadosh or Kedushah. Right? And we have a lot of terms that we use, you know, very classically in Judaism that are based off the word Kadosh. Like Kaddish, you say Kaddish on a yard site. What does Kaddish mean? It means to sanctify. Make holy. Kiddush, Friday night, making Kiddush. From the word holy, sanctify Shabbos. Kiddushin. The act of marriage is called Kiddushin. It's an act, it's, an, it's a holy act. You're sanctifying. So that's kadosh, kedusha, holiness, holy. What's the opposite of holy, right? Let's use King Solomon's words. God has made one opposite the other. What's opposite holy? The Hebrew word is kalipa. Kedusha means holy. Klipa means unholy, impure. So, godly soul is holy, is godly. Animal soul is the opposite. What's the opposite of holy? Klipa. Right? Our animal soul is really not holy. It's just not holy. What's the opposite of holy? And it could be you're already realizing this. Uh, what do these words even mean? What does holy mean? What makes something holy? In and, the in the image of spirit of God, right? Yeah, so we're created in the image of God, but like you know, we, we what's holy? What makes an act holy? And what, what what so what makes an act unholy? You know, is this cup holy? Is the coffee within it holy? Is my computer holy? Is my breakfast holy? Is it unholy? Is it like is it like negative holiness? I don't know. So. Yeah, these terms need to be well-defined, which the author of it is thankfully going to do for us next week. Um, <clears throat> but for right now, let's just keep that basic idea in mind. Godly soul is holy. Kedusha, Kadosh. Animal soul is not holy. Kalipa. Kalipa and Sitra Achra. 
Let's continue. It is this soul that is invested within your blood and is the source of physical vitality, which means basic life, biological life, physiological life, functionality of life. The fact that I can move my fingers, the fact that I can feel with my fingers. This is the result of your animal soul. This is the doing of your animal soul. The altar is telling us that the animal soul literally pulses through our blood. Our blood is carrying within it the animal soul, the energy from the animal soul, and that gives us life. So life itself, physical life itself, is not inherently holy. It's actually unholy. Physical life is from the animal soul. Okay. So here we have that first layer of the, of the opposites. Godly soul is holy, animal soul not holy. Let's I, I want to talk for a moment. I want to go a, a drop deeper into that. Now every soul has an identity, has a core identity, you know, what we call an essence. And an essence has to be very simple, very not complex. It has to be like a you know a, a point, the most essential point. So 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 what is that essential identity of the godly soul, and what is that essential identity of the animal soul? Or in other words, to ask the question a little bit differently: the godly soul and the animal soul. What is its worldview? How does it process information? What is the most essential point of reference? around which it, it builds its intellect, its emotions, its activities. What is it? What would you say? What's the godly soul? What's the animal soul? Feel free to unmute. What's that essence? What's that core? What's that core drive? So speaking with the godly soul, what do you think is the core identity and essence of the godly soul? To do mitzvahs and, do, and read Torah and do good things. Right. That's what it wants to do. But how does it even get there? What's its most essential point of reference in life? What's its focus? What's well, its to, to make Earth a place where God to bring God down to to Earth? It's a good answer. I'll, I'll I'll say it even simpler. Okay. The essence of the godly soul is God. One word, <laughs> which I think is what you're trying to say. But right, Let's, which means. The godly soul, how does it think about life? How does it process information? How does it build its emotions? It's all around God. All around a holy way of thinking. It's not a soul that's obsessed with itself. What do I like? What do I want? What makes me feel good? It's, 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 it's totally selfless. It's, 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 it sees itself as a... A, a pure extension of God. There's no sense of selfhood, of independence. The, the animal soul, what would be the inverse of that? What's that core agenda, that core essence of the animal soul? What would you say? The, the ego. The ego. There you have it. <laughs> right? The id, as they say, right? Not the yid with a y. The id, right? The ego. Sheer, uninhibited ego. A sense of self. It's the opposite of the selflessness and the, the God-focused selflessness of the godly soul. Animal soul is very, very self-focused. Just like an animal. What's an animal's agenda? If you had to kind of boil down the life of an animal to one word. What would the one word of an animal be? Survival. Survival? There's no pleasure? I, 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 it's, I, think it's, I think the best word is simply me. Me. <laughs> or I. What do I want right now? What do I like right now? What do I feel right now? Literally, that's all animals do. The moment it has an impulse, 
for anything. It acts upon it. It, it doesn't think, is this a good idea? Will other people like it? <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just a totally uncontrolled ego. And that is kind of what our animal soul is. Our animal soul is not an animal. It has some intelligence as well. It's a human soul. But we call it an animal soul because that's what it is. It's just, it's the ego. And that's what we're saying. That's the opposite. Holiness is a world where it's not selfish, where it's not uh, so egocentric. Holiness is a world of unity, is a world of where of transcendence of self. And that's the godly soul. Animal soul is, is unholy, self-centered, all about the ego. Let's continue our journey. Let's continue our journey. Okay, the soul powers of the animal soul. So just as the godly soul, as we've learned, has what we call 10 soul powers. It has intellect and it has emotions. Three intellect, seven emotions. So the author of it says the exact same is true for the animal soul. But again, just the inverse, the opposite. What's the opposite? Let's read. This soul is comprised of 10 soul powers, which are referred to by the Zohar as 10 crowns of impurity. If the godly soul has 10 holy soul powers, the animal soul has 10 unholy, impure soul powers. Okay, what are the 10 soul powers? These 10 soul powers are seven negative emotional powers, which emerge from the four negative elements mentioned above. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, in chapter one, we've learned uh, many months ago, it speaks about the concept that there's four spiritual elements, the same, the same physical elements, the same physical four elements of fire, water, air, and earth. Those same four elements constitute spiritually the spiritual composition of the animal soul, and it's a source of all negative emotions. It's not important to get back into it now, but if you go back to chapter one, the author of it speaks a little bit about this, about how all negative character traits from the animal soul stem from the four negative emotion, uh, negative elements. So we have seven negative emotional powers. And then we also have the intellect that gives birth to these emotions, which the intellect is divided into three, three soul powers, three intellectual soul powers, Chachma, Bina, and Da'at. Now, the author is telling us this rather quickly because we've, we've learned a lot about this already, right? We've, we've spent a whole chapter discussing the intellectual soul powers, the concept that these soul powers are the source of the emotions, how they give birth to the emotions. But I want to, um, I want to uh, jog your memory here. I'm going to share my screen here. This is that tree um of the 10 soul powers and as you see on the right side there is intellect and there are emotions intellect is chachma bina and dat wisdom understanding and knowledge and then there are seven emotions chesed which is kindness and love gevura which is restraint and fear and severity there's Teferis, which means beauty, harmony, and compassion. There's Netzach, victory, ambition. Hod, which is splendor, humility. Yisod, which is connection, and Malchut, which is royalty, receptiveness. Without going too much into it, these are the seven emotions. So, so the godly soul, the godly soul has ten soul powers. Three intellect, seven emotions. The animal soul also has these. Three intellect, seven emotions. Very similar emotions, very similar thought processes, but just they think and feel differently. The godly souls, intellect and emotions, think and perceive and feel with a very strong sense of of, of godliness and of holiness. 
That's its natural way of thinking. Um, and the, the animal soul thinks and perceives and feels uh, in a very selfish way. That's how it works. So let's let's like do it together. Let's let's explore it together. Let's take some emotions over here. Let's start with chesed, kindness and love. What would be an expression of godly soul kindness? And then what would be an expression of animal soul kindness? So kindness and love. What, what, so what do you think? What would be what would be a godly soul expression of it? What would be an animal soul? expression of kindness what would you say I mean, kindness in general would be doing some kind of mitzvah some kind of a good deal good deed for somebody like an anonymous donation for example or just helping somebody selflessly and right for, and yeah very good your, right and for your animal soul that would be doing something for yourself like you know giving giving somebody you love a box of candy or something i don't know mm -hmm. So explain why giving somebody a box of candy is an act of animal soul love. I don't know, because it's a physical expression and because, I don't know, because I'm planning to eat some of the chocolate, so it's for me ultimately. Mm -hmm. you're, sat you're satisfying an animal desire of hunger. Mm -hmm. you're not, uh, it's not, um, I mean, your animal ne needs food to survive, so it's eye-orientated. And um, it needs food to survive, so it would it would take the uh, it would take the food, even if it wasn't chocolate. It would take the food. So let's let's start with the with the, with the godly soul. What would be an act of kindness of the godly soul? An act of and again, it's it's an act of kindness that that transcends the self. What would that be? Let's say a person goes above and beyond. To help another Jew, to be there for another Jew, with with with, with real dedication, real sacrifice. So somebody who could really use, uh, you know, the helping hand, an act of charity, an act of giving, an act of being there, and you do it with with, because you're really inspired. You know, you've 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 inspired yourself to to give of yourself. You, you, you see somebody that's lost, an older person that has difficulty walking, and you go over and you try and help them find their way and take them to their home so they won't get killed crossing the street. Right, right. But it's specifically a time where you could sense that it's transcending the ego. How about jumping into the fire in the house, saving someone's life? Oh, oh. And risking your own life. That's right. So that could be a moment of transcending yourself That's or a time where we'll do we'll do something for God. We'll do a mitzvah, even though but we do it with a certain conviction, a certain inspiration. You know, we've reached a certain point. Maybe maybe we maybe we went to a Torah class and it inspired us. And you say, you know what? I want to make a commitment to God. As an act of love, you know, I want to celebrate my Judaism. I, I, you know, I love my Judaism. You feel inspired about love for Judaism, and, 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 and you and you feel that energy of love, which is rising beyond the petty. What do I like? What makes me feel good? What do I want to do? What don't I like doing? Which means a, a, an expression of an emotion, which is not about me. It's something greater, or a time when we're very moved to give charity. And we're giving charity not because I personally appreciate the good work that this charity does. It's not because I'm going to get good recognition and I could tell my friends that I gave to this. Those would be animal soul reasons to give, right? It's all about me. But, but, but where you really feel motivated to give maybe even more than you're comfortable giving. And you give it, you know, wholeheartedly just for the goodness of this is what God wants me to do. This is my mitzvah to give charity. And I'm gonna give it. Do you do, you know, it do you do it anonymously? When you do it anonymously, yeah, so that could be an example. Or we're, we're, we're done with a certain where you could feel that it's beyond a sense of self. 
What would kindness be from the animal soul? What does the kindness of the soul, what does the animal soul love? What's the love? Self. It loves self. So how does self-love express itself? You know, there's a story. I love the story. Ready for a good story? It's like a Jewish, uh, it's a Jewish um, folktale. What we call a mushal, a parable. So the story goes that there was once a carp, a fish, a carp, uh, swimming in the uh, swimming in the river, and all of a sudden it gets trapped in a net, and the net gets pulled up, and uh, there's two fishermen on a boat that lift up this carp, and the carp is pretty confused. What's going on over here? Yeah, I was I was just minding my own business. All of a sudden, I'm pulled out of the water, and the carp hears the two fishermen saying, "Wow." What a beautiful carp. We know the king loves carp. Let's bring this carp to the king. And the carp hears this and says, wow, today must be my lucky day. The king loves me and I'm about to go meet the king. I'm about to meet my lover, my beloved. So it's very excited. And it uh, joyously <laughs> bounces to the footsteps of the fishermen bringing the carp all the way to the palace. And the fishermen <clears throat> show up at the palace gates. And the guards say, what are you two smelly, petty fishermen doing here at the, at the palace? And they say, well, we just caught the most beautiful carp. And the guards right away say, wow, the king loves carp. Come right in. And this just reassures the carp even more. There we go. The king loves carp. I'm getting closer. And they show the fishermen straight to the royal kitchen. And they meet the royal, the, the royal chef. And the chef says, what's going on over here? And the fishermen and the guards say, well, these fishermen just caught the most beautiful carp. And the chef says, wow, give me the carp. The king loves carp. And the carp is so excited. And all of a sudden, the two swinging doors swing wide open. The king walks in. He hears a commotion. He says, what's this all about? What's going on? And the chef says, king, these fishermen just brought the most beautiful carp. And the king says, wow, I love carp. And the carp can barely contain its excitement. Here it is. Here's the king that loves me. And the king says... Listen, chef, chop off its head, chop off its tail, cut it in half. And the carp hears this. And with its last breath, it screams out, you don't love carp. You just love yourself. And it's a great illustration because the animal soul all of its emotions are really expressing one thing and one thing only. Self. Me. I. If somebody says, I love sushi, no one loves sushi. Right? No one loves sushi. People love themselves. And because we love ourselves, we like things that tantalize our, our tongue <laughs> and our taste buds. And stuff that will make us feel good and experiences that make us feel good. So I love going fishing. I love doing this. I you don't love anything. You just love yourself. <laughs> or You know, this is not the place to get too much into it. But the only soul that's really capable of love is the godly soul. Because the godly soul could go beyond itself. The animal soul is just busy loving itself and, and seven, all seven emotions, all about itself. What does it fear? What does it respect? What, is it, what does it have restraint for? It's all about self. It's all about what's in my best interest. Right? No one loves money. People love themselves. People love what money could do for themselves. Why are people scared to lose money? They're not scared to lose money. They're scared to lose their own quality of life. It happens to be that money could give them. See, on the sound I'm saying, all these seven emotions are, 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 that is the binary. Godly soul, these seven emotions are directed to God and holy things. 
I could love another Jew wholeheartedly. I can love and do a mitzvah wholeheartedly. I can make a commitment, which is not about myself. I can make a commitment to God. I can make a commitment to myself as a Jew. I can go beyond. I can, I can commit to a set of values which is, which, is, which is greater than my biases. Right? The, the, the idea that I could say, I commit to God. I'll commit to a godly set of values. I'll let God set values in my life. It's, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing thing. You're transcending yourself. That's a very godly act. It's a very transcendent act. I'm not going to rely on my own biases. I'm not going to rely just on the way my mind, what my mind tells me is right or wrong, or what popular opinion tells me is right or wrong. I'm going to transcend that. So that is kind, that is basically what's going on over here. The godly soul is all about God and all of its emotions, therefore, are all about God and all about transcendence. And the and the godly soul is simply uh, and the animal soul, I apologize. The animal soul is simply expressing seven emotions which all revolve around the self. Kindness and love for itself, restraint and fear for its own self-interests, harmony, compassion, it's all about itself. You know, harmony and compassion, teferit. Teferit could also literally means beautifying. Beautifying. So when a Jew beautifies their life with a mitzvah, when a Jew invests in the beauty of a mitzvah, when a Jew says, you know, I'm not just going to buy a cheap mezuzah. Let me, let, let me buy a quality mezuzah. You know, we like quality, right? The TV that we own, you know, we don't buy the cheapest model. We, we want it to be quality. So let me go and, and, and give God some quality. Let me go and invest in a mezuzah. You know, let me go invest in, in Torah books that I have in my house. That is an act of beauty, of beautifying. That's a godly act of beautifying. Um, when somebody boasts about their own talent or their own achievements or shows off a little bit, you know, their wealth, their successes, that's godly soul. That's animal soul to ferret. That's godly soul. That's sorry. That's animal soul beautifying, right? Ego or selfless, holy or unholy. That's kind of the drift. In any case, these are the 10 soul powers. Now, I want to ask you guys an advanced question. All right? I have a question for all of you. Look at the last words. The way the Alter Rebbe explains the 10 soul powers. The Alter Rebbe says there are seven negative emotional powers, and then there's the intellect, the three powers of intellect. There's a classical question on this little part of Tanya. Something is a little off. What comes first, intellect or emotions? In the sequence, in the order of the 10 soul powers, first you have intellect, then you have emotions. But how does the author Rebbe introduce us here to the seven emotions, to the, to the 10 emotions? The author Rebbe flips it. First, the author Rebbe says, what the emotions are, then he tells us what the intellect is. Why is why does the author ever not tell us the ten soul powers in the correct order? Why first emotions and then intellect? Because it's and even more so. What was that? Because it's flipped for the annual soul, right? The smaller oh. your intellect, the more you're governed by emotions. Beautiful. There, Yulia is following the thread here. That's the point. Everything is opposite. In the godly soul, the intellect is primary. The godly soul, its entire system is, is generated by its intellect. How does the godly soul develop emotions? Only through its intellect and its perception. The more it appreciates an idea, the more it feels it. The more it learns about God, the more it could feel for God. And by the way, here's a uh, plug for our upcoming course. My God. The Altaibah says we have to learn about God. <laughs> so we have a new course coming up about it. Very, very beautiful course. Okay. I think most of you are registered for it. 
Okay. But the animal soul, as Yulia just said, is the opposite. Flip it. The animal soul is primarily an emotional soul. It's very impulsive. Which means, yes, it does have intellect. It does have intelligence. And the intellect does play an important role in the emotions, but the emotions run wild on their own. Which is indeed what we see about ourselves, right? Our animal soul is very volatile, right? It just... It just... Uh, it gets very emotional very quickly. It gets excited very quickly, right? You pass by a pizza shop, all of a sudden, you're like, right? ooh, I want pizza. <laughs> you didn't have to think too much. You didn't have to meditate to, to come to the emotion that I want pizza or I want ice cream. And it also it gets angry very quickly. It's very impulsive. It's very emotional. So there we have it. Here's another kind of layer of the inverse of the equation. Where the animal, the godly soul, intellect comes forth. Intellect is in the driver's seat. In the animal soul, emotions are in the driver's seat. The intellect merely informs the emotions. So the emotions of the animal soul are very healthy. The moment the baby is born, all seven emotions are developed. It could love, it could crave, it could desire. It could be fearful, it could, it could hold back, it could have severity, etc., etc., all seven emotions. The mind, the intellect of the animal soul simply gives the emotions the knowledge of what it should go after. But the emotions are there on their own. Let's read this inside, and then I'll explain to you a little bit more. Page 64, let's read this inside. The intellect is the source of the emotions, right? Which means the emotions are in the driver's seat, but the intellect is still the source of the emotions because the scope of your emotions is relative to the scope of your mind. And the author of it gives us, illustrates this for us. As we see, little people desire and cherish little and inconsequential things because their minds are too small and limited to grasp the value of things more precious. Any minor thing can anger or fluster them. The same goes for the things they boast about. And so it goes for the rest of their emotions. They're all relative to a person's intellectual depth. So here's an example. A two-year-old wants a toy car. A two-year-old walks into a store, into a department store, and every department store has a toy aisle. And a little boy sees a car and says, mommy, daddy, I want a car. And it really wants that car. That's an expression of the emotion of chesed, which is kindness, which is love. I love a car. I want the car. Attachment. I want to get close to something. Okay. A 22-year-old, a 42-year-old. <laughs> what does it want? It doesn't want a toy car anymore. What does it want? It wants a real car, right? Mommy, daddy, I want a Tesla or whatever other car uh, fancies you. Is there a difference between the two-year-old's desire for a toy car and the 22-year-old's desire for a real car? Is there any difference in the emotion? And as all of us realize, there's, there's no difference in the emotion. Emotions, the emotion is exactly the same. Emotions are very robust and fully developed in animal souls naturally. Animal soul emotions are right there in the driver's seat. We, they don't need to be developed. They only need to be informed. They only need to be guided. The only thing that changed between the two-year-old's desire for a toy car and the 22-year-old's desire for a real car was the mind, the maturity. A two-year-old cannot appreciate the value of a real car, cannot appreciate the appeal of a new car, 
cannot understand the difference between a 30-year-old car and a new car. Well, what does it know? Right? When you're a kid, do you know the difference between fabric seats and leather seats? <laughs> right? If it has a keyless ignition or if you need to put in a key, you know, all these features, all these schmitchicks. <laughs> it knows about toy cars. right? Who cares? The mind informs the emotion. So this is, again, another very uh, key difference between the godly soul and the animal soul. Godly soul is intellectual. And in order to develop emotions, it needs to meditate. It needs to think. It needs to develop ideas and a worldview and connect to those ideas until it feels it. The animal soul is the opposite. Emotions come naturally. It starts with emotions. And the intellect simply has to inform the emotions. And this is a very key practical idea because, you know, we all know that nobody had to teach us the value of ice cream. All it took was one little taste. And we knew that we love ice cream. That's it. And sometimes... We can think that the same should happen with Judaism. If Judaism is really appealing, it should be natural. If, if there's what to love about God, it should be natural. If there's what to love about a mitzvah, it should be natural. If there's what to love about Judaism, it should be natural. If there's what to love about me being a Jew, it should be natural. But the author is showing us, no, only the animal soul, only selfish emotions come naturally. Godly selfish emotions, selfless emotions need to be developed. Because that's the way the souls work. They are opposites. What comes first and naturally to one comes secondary and through effort in the other. Okay. And let's conclude for today's class, the last element of our journey of understanding the animal soul. The last section are the garments. We've learned about the godly soul, that the godly soul has intellect, the ideas it knows and believes in, its convictions, its perceptions, its understandings. Then it also has emotions. And then the altar says it could act upon those emotions. It could express those emotions. It could express those beliefs and ideas and that awareness in behaviors, which we called garments. Three garments. Thought, speech, and action. Three modes of behavior. If we know something, if we feel something, we could think about it. We could speak about it. And we could act upon it. And the same thing is true with a selfish, ego-centered animal soul. Whatever it knows and whatever it feels, it wants to express in the three modes of expression, three modes of behavior, in thinking, in speaking, and in doing. Let's conclude. The garments of the animal soul, let's read inside. Now, you can express these 10 impure soul powers in thought, speech, or action, which are the three garments, right? The the animal soul has the ability of expression. And when you do so, then that thought in your brain or that word in your mouth, or that power of action in your hands or other limbs are called the impure garments of the animal soul. For at the moment of this action, speech, or thought, the 10 impure powers of the animal soul are dressed and expressed within them. So if the godly soul is holy, and if the godly soul has holy intellect and holy emotions, and holy behaviors, Torah and mitzvahs, then the animal soul is unholy. Unholy thought, unholy speech, unholy action. Unholy garments, impure garments. And with that, the author concludes the exploration of the animal soul. Isn't that quick? (laughs) It's so simple to go through because as long as you've learned what the godly soul is about, it's pretty easy to just apply to the animal soul just in the inverse. The, what we're going to be doing next is that the author of right now has a lot of explaining to do because the author is very heavy on terms 
holy, unholy, impure. Kedusha klipa. What does this even mean? What does holy mean? What does impure mean? What does unholy mean? And that's where the author is going to go next and say, one second, what does this even mean? We're creating this binary of holy and unholy. Let's define that. And um, Tanya really moves uh, the next part of this chapter really moves chapter, uh, really moves the whole Tanya into a deeper space because it's going to teach us a new worldview. You know, most people, the binary of life is good and bad, good and evil. And that's kind of how we humans think about life. Is it good or is it bad? Is this food good for you or is it bad for you? Is this deal good or bad? Is this politician good or bad? Everything is good or bad. And the author is going to teach us that. Now, that's a very, very uh, superficial binary to use in life. The real choice in life, if you really want to understand the challenge of life, the friction in life, it's not between good and bad. It's not between good and evil. It's not between moral and immoral. It's between holy and unholy. Kedusha and Kalipa. But that's going to take a lot of explaining. So it's 8.30, dear friends, and that means that it's time to end. We're moving forward in time. I want to thank you all for joining. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks, Rabbi. Have a good night, everyone. You're very welcome. Have a good night.